Hello, channel pros. Welcome back to the Channel Journeys podcast. I'm Rob Spee, your host and a certified cycling, sailing, and channel fanatic. Today's the first day of summer. That's both scary and exciting. In 10 days, the first half of the year will be behind us. That's a bit scary, but we'll also be seeing the Tour de France kick off on July 1st, and at least for me, that's super exciting. I think I love cycling even more when I'm watching the tour between rides. But enough about cycling. I've got a special podcast for you today to kick off summer. At the beginning of the year, now that seems like a long time ago already. Well, back in January, I joined two of my Channel Pro friends, Vince Menzion and Paul Bird, who are each hosts of their own podcast for a conversation on channel trends. Vince hosts the Ultimate Partner podcast and, and Paul hosts the Ultimate Channel Sales podcast. Two great shows. Well, we had so much fun doing that podcast together back in January that we decided to get the gang back together for another channel panel chat. We're all figuring out the ecosystem and the role cloud hyperscalers play, so we decided that'd be a great topic to dive into. Are you wondering what role AWS, Microsoft, and or Google and their marketplaces should play in your strategy? Do you know what impact they can have on your partner ecosystem and your go-to-market strategy? And what do their recent layoffs mean for you? Well, we're going to talk about all that. Are you ready to find out? Let's go. Welcome to Channel Journeys, the podcast for channel professionals that will enable and inspire you to create your best channel journey ever. Meet and learn from channel experts who share authentic stories of their channel victories, defeats, and lessons learned along the way. Here's your host, Rob Speed, a channel chief on a never-ending quest for channel knowledge and adventure. Hey, Paul, Vince, buddies, how you doing? Doing well. So good to be here, my friend. <laughs> this is the, the friend chat of the channels. Getting back together again on the Channel Journeys platform this time. We're kind of bouncing around, but really happy to be back with you guys. And let's just have a fun conversation. Thought we'd talk about ecosystems and hyperscalers this time. So we'll see where that takes us. We can talk about anything. There are no rules on this show today. Perfect. It's great to be back and great not to be asking the questions today. <laughs> Same here. And so good to see you too. Like, this is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun, Vince. You've been busy. Paul, I know you've been busy. We've all been super busy. Who isn't these days? A lot going on, a lot of fun things happening in the partnering world that we're all getting engaged in. So we can just kind of chat about that and see where it's going. So we're all heavily involved in the ecosystems. Hyperscalers are playing a big role in that. I'm curious first, Paul, from your perspective at Magentrix, what impact this is having that you're seeing on your business, your partnerships? Well, I think what we're seeing when it comes to, to new people coming in evaluating Magentrix is that the one-size-fits-all model of the past is really no longer applicable. Uh, they're now looking at how do they work with different personas? How do they involve multiple touch points within an individual sale, the multiple points of value, as Jay always talks about, or, or influence, but also involving customers as well. So they need to find an ecosystem that not only caters to transactional partners, but then the co-innovation partners. I did a, a podcast with uh, Tim over at Red Hat on this, but then also to be able to bring in the, the customer experience as well. So they can kind of do a full loop on the, you know, the CSAT scores and everything when it comes to the, the customer benefit of all of this. And that's a challenge to find a platform that can handle all of it. 
Uh, fortunately, Magentrix, that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been at it for uh, 12 years now. So, uh, But it's a it's a take I haven't seen in the last seven years. So, And this is really being driven by the age of the ecosystem. I was trying to explain this at my company, kind of what's different, right? We've always had resellers, VAR, VAD, service delivery partners, GSIs. Hyperscalers have even been around quite a while. Vince, what do you think is really different now than before? So first off, I think that certainly in the last few years, right, since COVID, there's been an acceleration in our lives, in the way we buy things, in terms of the technology, the adoption rate is off the charts. Mm -hmm. And buying behaviors have also changed dramatically so that it's not the IT shop that's only making the decision. It's the line of business owner. And those people are making a decision like they purchase a car, right? Jay likes to talk about the seven seats at the table and that influence strategy surrounding it. It's also finally becoming understood that it's not a transaction and you're not just buying a widget. You're buying a mm -hmm. complete solution to a problem that might include the cloud. It might include uh, a beyond trust solution. It might include some other stitching or software coming from a, a partner. And that doesn't happen alone. It doesn't happen in a one and done type of manner. So bringing along the ecosystem, in other words, bring the ecosystem is really what the customer thinks the ecosystem is, right? Who yeah. are those seven partners or organizations that are coming together to influence and build that complete solution? That's number one. The second thing we're seeing is the hyperscalers. They, yes, they've been around for a while. I was with Microsoft for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. But the cloud, first of all, the aggregation, the technology just to build out these massive data centers, it's not for the faint. I mean, the, the massive investments required, there's only a few companies right. that can do it, right? So the big yeah. three, mostly, you'll see a little bit more of Oracle. But now the technology that's layered on top of that, and mm -hmm. layer on top of that, Gen AI, and yeah. there is an aggregation of data. All The aggregation is happening amongst the top three. And then everyone else is basically taking advantage of their rails, right? They're, you're coming onto their rails and taking advantage of whether it's Gen AI or whatever the technology is on their cloud as an ISV, as an SI. So it's got to all come together. So you've got to work with your hyperscalers more succinctly. And then you also need to work with your, what we used to call channel, right? Channel journeys. But as now an ecosystem, you've got to bring all those things together as one. Yeah. I'm not changing it to ecosystem journeys yet, Vince. So <laughs> good. I don't want you to be trendy. <laughs> I can't be too faddish or trendy. Exactly. No, but it's interesting because I think you're right. I think a lot of what's changing is the buyer behavior, right? As you said, because of the SaaS offerings and the way that the transaction isn't as important and the ways that they can buy today, the buyer behavior has changed, which has required the need for this orchestrated ecosystem approach. I'm not sure what the chicken or the egg is because it was the advancement in technology that did also change the buyer behavior. Yes, absolutely. And I look back 20 years ago working for one of the first compact resellers in Canada. And for me to be able to deploy a workload, the amount of people I had to work with as far as, you know, acquiring the physical hardware from distribution to, you know, having it shipped to our office, whether it was drop shift or we went and picked it up to actually setting up and configuring the OS on all of this, the security. I mean, this was not an easy task. Like if you wanted to get, you know, even a, a database server or a web application server running, this was a week long project. I can do this in minutes now with hyperscalers. You know, when I first was exposed to this type of, of technology at scale, this was a process and there were a lot of people involved in order to deliver an application like this. Now, if the buy button can be clicked by anybody, 
regardless if it's the partner, regardless if it's the end user or a service provider in the middle. And that those, you know, this ecosystem of hyperscalers and all of the other components of it, the people haven't changed. Just the deployment and the acquisition have changed. So it, it really is an exciting time to be, you know, involved in in the ecosystem, look, watching the hyperscalers uh, work. And then for us at Magentrix, where we're really focused on the, you know, that endpoint communication with partners, you know, other stakeholders of the ecosystem, customers, and driving the best experience, like a true personalized experience that provides value. And this isn't the old partner portal that we saw five years ago or 10 years ago. This is now about adding value and then bringing in all the components that we're seeing from the hyperscalers and other components of the ecosystem as well. Yeah, you're talking about partner experience, customer experience. That's been our real mantra and focus at our company. It's, it's product experience, customer experience, partner experience, all of that, right? And employee experience as well. And you mentioned change. You know, people haven't changed, but so much has changed that we've got to change as people and adopt to it. And that's maybe we'll even get into that. The whole change management side of this is really challenging. Well, Paul just mentioned the buy button. And yeah. maybe this is a, this is leading into what we're going to talk about next, but the buy button is that marketplace yeah. offer. And what you're starting to see, and it's really getting driven from the hyperscalers on down, is that this adoption of marketplaces. Canalis says 45 billion will flow through marketplaces by the end of 2025. 80% of that will go through the three hyperscalers. And they are driving behavior now. Microsoft's going to have its big Microsoft Inspire conference, July 18th and 19th. Tea leaves say that there's going to be some announcements around marketplaces. Like that's going to be more of a prevalent thing next year. So I hear. And they're driving it for a lot of reasons. First of all, it's access to their sales organization. It's access to the durable cloud budgets. The three hyperscalers aggregated have $200 billion in cloud commitments with customers. Yeah. So, and if you have a marketplace offer with any of those three, you can burn down that commitment. The customer does not have to do a cash outlay, especially now during this time of economic headwinds. I can access what's already been committed to my hyperscaler to purchase a Beyond Trust solution. Isn't that great, right? It is great. You know, we at Beyond Trust, we've now gotten ourselves up on the Azure marketplace and the AWS marketplace. What we're learning, though, is just because you build it, they don't necessarily come, right? It just right. doesn't happen automatically. There's a lot of work you've got to do to get that motion flowing and the motion flowing with the hyperscaler, right? The co-selling, the co-marketing, even co-innovation that's possible. And Vince, that's an area that you're really focusing on, aren't you, to, to help companies with this? Oh, you, you, I love this question, right? So we made a big announcement just last week, and uh, we are going to be hosting an event, a companion event. Uh, Ultimate Partner is pivoting to a media events and advisory firm and recognizing that the hyperscalers do play such a prevalent role in yeah. this ecosystem, but most people are not looking at that holistically. So we're trying to bring it all together. We're going to do our first event with Microsoft and we hope to do events with the other, other two. And the whole idea is to bring together- You're not playing the, favorites. You're going you're gonna to work with everyone. We're going to work with everyone. Um, all right. But Microsoft's <laughs> conference came up first. So right after Inspire, the day after, we're going to host a companion event, Winning with Ecosystems. It will actually feature executives from Microsoft. We're going to have several, uh, both fireside chats and panel discussions. And we're going to take what Microsoft just said the day before and mm -hmm. apply it to helping partners land Microsoft term, uh, make, make it more relevant to their strategies yeah. so they can be successful in 2024. 
And this is a digital event. It is a digital event. I did want to do a live event. Transparency was there was no location that made sense given travel budgets and timing for this year. But stay tuned. We're going to do more. I thought you were going to say there's no venue big enough to hold the crowd that's going to come to your... (laughs) Well, you know, I think it's a topic that people really need to be listening to. And I think your timing of this announcement is key because I still think that there is a a large segment of the, the, at least in the technology sector, that doesn't fully understand and appreciate the, how the ecosystem is going to change and evolve their business. And, you know, it it becomes a a catchphrase that people are looking at and they don't really fully understand and appreciate it. So I think that coming off an Inspire conference, if you can actually educate and give real actionable items, you know, a live event would have been great because hearing you speak is fantastic. But really, even a digital event will enable a lot of people. So if they haven't signed up for it, I recommend that they do. We'll put a link in the show notes, right? Absolutely. Good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And when is that? It is July 20th. July 20th. Let's see. Yes, I'm still in town. Good, good. Well, we'd love to have you there. And, <laughs> and you have been to one of my events before, Rob. So It was fantastic. Yeah, it was we're, very... We're very... amping that up. So some oh, of the really? same players, some more yeah. executive level people from Microsoft, very senior people at Microsoft yeah. are going to be part of this. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. And, and you know, a lot of people are just kind of getting into this, but there's so much that can be done. And we were at the executive briefing center of one of our partners recently, and we were talking about co-selling, of course, and that's kind of what people first go to. But there's so much more that can be done on the co-marketing side, but also on the co-innovation side. And you talked about the technology advances of the hyperscalers and what they've built. And there are so many ways that I hadn't even thought of that other ISVs can actually tack onto that and accelerate innovation by leveraging their technology. Yeah, absolutely. This is That's what I'm saying with regards to Gen AI. It's, it's, it's taking... First of all, the, the time to get to market. I know Paul has some a point of view on this as well from what Magentrix has done, but it's going to accelerate time to market. It's going to accelerate a lot of things that we haven't even thought about yet in terms of the relationship between the ISV and their solution set and yeah. the hyperscalers' capabilities broadly. You know, when marketplaces came out, multiple parties were really fearful of this taking over their business and pushing them out. First, the resellers and partners. Yeah. What are you seeing, Paul, in your in your customer community on that front? Well, you know, you talk about the change in technology just as it applies to hyperscalers in the last short period of time. And now we are in the infancy of generative AI. I think back and in 2000, which is, my God, 23 years ago, I got my first BlackBerry. It ran on a AA battery. It was the greatest device I had ever had in the world. Now, fast forward 20 plus years later, not only is that also just completely out of date and irrelevant anymore, but how far we've come when it comes to mobile computing. So let's take this same and apply it to now what OpenAI, what Microsoft is doing, what Google's doing with BARD. What is this going to look like in two years from now, five years from now, 20 years from now? This is going to change our landscape. And if the technology is evolving as quick as if ChatGPT or any generative AI evolves at the same rate as technology, which I don't think it will, I think it'll be a lot faster. This is going to change our entire landscape in a very short period of time, well within our lifetimes. So from a Magentrix perspective, we were the first ones to integrate OpenAI into our PRM. And 
first thing we did is said, this is an easy one. Nobody wants to log into a partner portal anymore. So you know what? Just copy it on the conversation that you're going to have with the channel manager. ChatGPT will go grab everything, register the deal on your behalf, and just send you a confirmation that it's done with a link to it. And that's been working fantastic. Now we're evaluating. What else can we do with this? How can we enable partner ecosystems to leverage this as almost digital labor, you know, offering predictive, you know, deep analytics into historical opportunities and then prompt the partner with the right collateral at the right point in the sales cycle, follow up with the partner in the ecosystem to say, have you made any progress? Find that X number of days go by and you start losing your opportunity to close the deal. What else can we leverage this for? And again, we're in the NC. It hasn't even been out six, well, it's been out, what, seven months so far. And I, I think that we're just seeing the very early on application, but it is an exciting point to be involved in this uh, this vertical and seeing how this is going to affect our lives. I think it's going to be in a positive way. Yeah, yeah just, it's, who knows? I mean, it's just, it's frightening and, and exciting of what could potentially come in the next couple of years with this, right, Vince? Yes. And one of the sessions we're going to have is on generative AI. Are you? At the event. Yeah. We have Microsoft coming into the room, both the business applications and the modern work team together to talk about this future of Copilot and generative AI and what it can do to streamline, you know, as Paul is discussing here with with his application. But think about all the things we do from a single pane of glass with business applications like CRM or Office 365 and what all the things that we can do with AI layered on top of that. Yeah, I was I was wondering Vince with all the time you're spending with these hyperscalers, are you getting a sense of where they're going not just in developing the technology which which they're all doing, but using the technology, you know? Other folks are figuring out ways to use this like yeah. Paul, but what are the hyperscalers planning to do with it? Well, I was at Google's event just back last month. I got yeah. to speak at their ISV forum and I got to hear directly from Google's leadership on the AI side about some of the innovation going on. And, you know, they were sort of in the shadows of this chat GPT thing, right? And maybe people thought they missed the mark, but they are coming on really strong. I've tried, Mm -hmm. I've been using both Bard and chat GPT myself. I like Mm -hmm. them both, but Google came from search. They came from machine learning and AI. Yeah. And so they've got a lot to share. They're also laying it into their business applications, their strategies, their vertical approaches, you know, across financial services, healthcare and the like. So they're not sleeping at the wheel. I'm sure it's been interesting as AWS has been a little quiet. I haven't heard much from them yet, but everything that the retail side of the house is built on is really machine learning and AI. So Mm -hmm. interesting to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it is very interesting. You wonder where it's, where it's going to take us. Hey, Vince, have you tried using ChatGBT yet to write your show notes? I have. I have. I would say to a limited success, not too bad. Yeah. Like, I'll take some things out of it. I have used it more for LinkedIn posts. Have you? And it, yeah. And, and you know what I did today? I had a thought on my ride, my bike ride this morning. And I came back and I said, write me an article about this subject. And it wrote, a, I haven't f- fully read it yet, but it's, it wrote a really fabulous piece. Taking into consideration the whole topic matter. I was like, wow, that was actually scary to see. It is scary. I keep forgetting to use it. I don't know about you guys. You know, I I hope that we can, as we evolve with the, you know, and begin to interact uh, with these types of of tasking components like generative AI and chat GPT, 
that we also start to learn from them as well. Uh, because there was a, a book I read a few years ago by a gentleman by the name of Tim Hudson called Think Better. And the, it really challenged you to go beyond your initial thought process to get your brain working. And one of the examples he's had is, you know what, pick a topic, give me 10 things, 10, your top 10 thoughts, top 10 colors, go ahead and pick 10. And then after you're done the 10, do 10 more. Now, if we ask ChatGPT to it, it can start running off thousands in a row. But for, for us, after we get to 10, becomes a little bit more difficult. We actually have to think. So what I'm hoping as the technology evolves, that not only will it make some of the more mundane tasks a little easier, but educate us to become more knowledgeable about specific subjects and not just do it for us. So it, that'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I know that at Magentrix, as we're looking to automate this, we really want to make the partner account manager's job easier. But at the same time, we want to educate people using uh, ChatGPT to provide them the insights and the analytics that are more than just what you would see on the surface. So it again, uh, I think it's going to be an interesting time to see how we do it. And I use it all the time. I use it. I think it's great for creating a framework, but then I will always go and tweak the information. I haven't done my show notes on uh, with ChatGPT, but... I do end up, uh, you know, if I've got a want to phrase an idea in an email or within a presentation a little bit better, I'll run it through ChatGPT, ask it to make it easier to understand. And it it does a great job of, uh, of doing what I ask it to. Yeah. And I think that's a really good hope that it makes us smarter, not dumber, right? That we just kind of lean on and let it do all the thinking for us. Exactly. You that know, I, I'm, I'm always brought back to uh, the conversations we were having when the web first started up, right? When the internet first became a thing and everybody started putting up a, a website and a, and a homepage and a sales page and saying that sales was going to go away and it never did, right? It just, it enabled yeah. sellers to become more effective at what they were doing, right? Yeah. And I hope that's the case here. And I believe it is. I, you know, my daughter is a senior copywriter for a fintech company, and I think it's going to make her job easier, but it's not going to replace her job because there's mm -hmm. still, first of all, there's the human element that it doesn't have. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily show that human emotion. Plus, I, again, like Paul said, it's uh, it's a way to frame up maybe a topic, but mm -hmm. not complete it, not to do it yeah. on your behalf. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's pivot. I want to talk about dis distribution and hyperscalers because that is definitely a kind of a collision point right now from what I'm seeing, you know, in the marketplace and distributors seem to be pivoting a bit and positioning themselves as the ecosystem orchestrator. But what does that mean? And what is their role versus the marketplace? And how do they, can they coexist? This is a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer. And what I will say is I do believe there's a, a level of reinvention that is going to continue to have to happen for the distribution. Mm -hmm. Where they, of course, you know, it was credit, it was delivery, uh, describing that compact computer. They had it on the shelf and they could send it to Paul. That's what, and the value was that they could provide credit to you. Mm -hmm. And that's the way it started out in the day, right? They were aggregators. The cloud has what they've been to the hyperscalers has been the scale element, the long tail, I like to refer to it as, right? So mm -hmm. who are the hundreds of thousands of, we used to call VARs, MSPs? you know, systems and everyone down the, ch the chain down to the customer in Sheboygan and activating them on technology and activating them on incentives and so on and so on. 
But does that change with marketplace? That's mm-hmm. the question. Do they have a vital role in aggregating marketplaces? Hard to say. It's hard to say for me at this point. Yeah. Well, maybe not in the North American market, but maybe in the APAC, uh, you know, other regions, they could play a role. But they, like all business, they have to evolve. If we go back 20 years ago, when you start talking about the evolution of the internet, if you weren't uh, prepared to acquire your own domain name, never mind put up a website, uh, you got forgotten about pretty quickly. You know, in the age of e-commerce, if you weren't prepared to go from moving things from the store shelf to now drop shipping them, you know, either directly or through someone like Amazon, you got forgotten about pretty quickly. So I think what the age we're in now is that distribution has been tremendously valuable over the last 25, 30 years, and they're going to need to evolve again to be a continue uh, to be part of that value chain. And, uh, you know, with the likes of TD Cinex and Ingram, uh, there's a lot of smart people over there. I'm confident that they will uh, evolve and continue to be part of value, whether they're an orchestrator, whether they're providing more regional support, uh, you know, throughout different global markets. And there could be that still credit game, the still access to capital that uh, that they may play a part of as well. So uh, they'll evolve. I'm, they're not going away anytime soon. Yeah, and I think they are what I'm seeing. We have a two-tier distribution strategy at Beyond Trust and are leaning very heavily on the VADs, but more from a customer success perspective, meaning the services element of it. And so they're really stepping up and providing us scale, both in partner service partner enablement and service partner certifications, but also actual service delivery, you know, either going out and doing the projects directly or being bench extensions to the partners. That's the big, big role that they're evolving to for us. And marketplaces obviously can't fulfill that. <laughs> maybe, they'll, maybe that's a role they'll get into hyperscalers yeah. in the future, but today that's not their role. Another role they might carry on behalf of the hyperscalers is the at least in the public sector space, is owning some of the contract vehicles. Oh, yeah. So hyperscalers in general will not have a direct contract with the U.S. Department of Defense or the state of Wisconsin or you know, yeah. the local agencies. But aggregating that and being the transactional engine for that for the hyperscaler, it might be an interesting play for them as well. Yeah, I think so. You know, another big thing that's happening at hyperscalers this year and end of last year were layoffs, Vince. You know, a lot of big layoffs in, in those hyperscalers. What are you kind of hearing and seeing any, any impact from that? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting time, Rob. Microsoft laid off about 10,000 people. A lot of them came out of the partner side of the business. We did see, mm-hmm. by the way, I think an inordinate number of people that were on the layoff side were either in marketing or partnership-related roles, right, across. Mm-hmm. I think, and I, I think that goes back to the old mindset of a CEO and a CRO that says, if I can't touch it and feel it, it ain't so, right? With the channel yeah. people get, or you know, one one step removed from the customer in their minds, yeah. which I, I don't believe to be true. By the way, what it's what it means is that we all need to do more with less. The hyperscalers right. have. If you're working with the hyperscalers, you're getting less support. You're getting less people supporting you. You're not going to get that nurturing that you maybe thought you were going to get before. Mm-hmm. And then within your own organization, you might have less resources as well. So yeah. you got to be smarter in your execution. I think you need to triage. You know, I look across some of my uh, clients that I advise, maybe there's relationships that they have that maybe are not necessarily productive or bearing fruit. And mm-hmm. maybe you need to look at your business a little harder and say, who are the 20% that are producing the 80% and lean in heavily there? And yeah. I think that's true for everybody today. I've seen the same thing, Rob. I've seen 
uh, channel programs where they've either drastically reduced the the headcount or canceled it uh, altogether because it's easier to attribute the sale to directly to from a, a direct seller to the end user. Uh, I think it's a little bit short-sighted because I think it limits their growth at scale. I think it limits their growth to a single uh, vertical market. I don't think it allows them to expand globally, but I think it's a result of the the current market conditions. And at the same time, though, I've surprisingly, I've seen organizations that have decided, you know what, these are the market conditions. We're in going entirely through channel, and we're going to teach our direct reps now to sell through channel. And that's a transition. That's a transition to go from a direct sales person now to a channel manager. I, I'm also seeing it happen in reverse as well. So it's encouraging. Yeah. I don't know if there's any like Jay McBain meter, channel meter that measures the sentiment of pro channel con versus, you know, con channel. Do you have a sense? Do you feel like it's more pro today? I think from what I've seen, I've seen more people that are, are working on the direct side of things uh, only because of the, the pullback I've seen from people that are, are going through channel. Uh, and I think that is because we've had this this tough economic time and people are a lot of the investment firms are, we'll say, a little reluctant to take risk and invest in new technology companies. I think as the economy rebounds in the, the coming months or, you know, into to next year and we see that investment back into the technology vertical, then I think we'll also see the growth of channel programs, partner ecosystems at the same time. Yeah. What I'm seeing, it's interesting, is, you know, it's always hard at the beginning of the year, end of this year, whatever, making targets, right, of how much business are we going to do and how much through the channel and everything. And we're not growing as fast in, as in terms of business through the traditional channel as I, had, as I had planned for. But where we're growing faster is the business with the ecosystem. So, you know, the engagement of our technology alignments, alliance partners, the engagement of service delivery partners, engagement with the hyperscalers, that's what's growing at a much faster rate and, and really boosting if you consider the total partner business. For sure. And I think one of the things we're also seeing is because there is this kind of little bit of reduction in headcount within people managing the ecosystem, that the importance of automation, the importance of a an enhanced personalized partner experience is really the way for you to grow your ecosystem with less people, less headcount managing it. You know, create that that experience of value. You know, give people a reason to engage with your with your technology platform, with your, you know, your marketplace listing. That really is what I think is going to to help people separate themselves and make them you know, a step ahead of their competitors is creating that perfect partner experience, whether that's in a, a PRM or a partner ecosystem management tool, whether it's the direct engagement, partner, or partner experience now has to be a core focus of anyone that is growing their program through an ecosystem model. Yeah. And I think, Vince, you nailed it. People have to work smarter, right? Yeah. And that's leveraging the tools and technologies that you're talking about, Paul. It's not being complacent. We've got to be really, we've got to be A players. We've got to be on our game, right? And do more with what we've got. I still think we need to bring the E-suite, the, I'm sorry, we need to bring the C-suite on board in a big way. Mm -hmm. I was at, I was at, mentioned earlier, I was at the Supernode event last week and Bob Moore yeah. was the CEO of Crossbeam. 
had a terrific presentation on ecosystem-led growth and the importance of it. But he said emphatically that we've only brought around maybe 6 to 8% of organizations across the C-suite get ecosystem-led growth. Yeah. We've got to bring the rest of them on board. I don't, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, Rob. Obviously, you, uh, you work within an organization where yeah. ecosystem is important. What do you see from your side? Well, that has been my drumbeat since I got in the company. So I have made a really concerted effort. And that was my mandate when I joined, was to build this ecosystem. So I don't think they knew exactly what that meant and what it could do, but they knew it was the right path. So it's been a journey and we've all been working together to figure out what can it do for us, right? We've, in fact, I was just uh, presenting at our monthly company update that we do in the company. And I got a chance to spend six minutes saying, hey, here's where we're at. The story I gave was that, okay, when I first joined, the mission was to build the ecosystem. Great news, we've done that. Now what we're doing is what we call intelligent channeling, and that is orchestrating the ecosystem and applying it in very smart ways of leveraging the different strengths of partners. So do we need one partner in the account, two, three, four, you know, whatever it takes to surround the customer with everything that they need to be successful throughout the buyer's journey? And I've been preaching this and, and educating myself and educating the ELT and the C-suite to keep them you know, coming along board the journey. And, and now we're at a phase of, okay, how do we start leveraging it for the innovation? That's the next mm. step. So intelligent channeling and then innovation is, is the next place to go. So I feel like we've made a lot of progress and do have good you know, C-suite understanding and collaboration, but it's, it's not easy. It takes a lot of dedicated effort to do that. Uh, you're looking at the the client executive as that point of orchestration? Where do, where do you see the orchestration happening? Boy, I don't know if there's any single point. You know, we talked about the distributor as the orchestrator. The channel account manager plays a big role in that because each sales rep has a channel manager that they can go to, to help them say, who do I need to do service delivery? Who do I need to do, put this deal through? Who has contacts? Who has the, the service uh, the, or the uh, cl security clearance, you know, that can go through there? So the cams play a really big role, but we're trying to educate the reps to where they can do it themselves. And they, we used to say, Hey, every rep should have like his own little team of sellers out in the channel. Right now. I think every rep should have their own little ecosystem and understand it. who those players are. Have your go-to people that get the job done. Big fan of that. Yeah. So I like turning the tables, Vince. You asked me a question. What are any other questions for me? I liked asking you a question. What are the biggest challenges you're seeing as a chief ecosystem officer in a major ISV? Like what, what, what are the things that are keeping you up at night? You know, it, it, I get asked that a lot. And I think certainly change management is tough, right? And we talked about that, educating the sellers, educating even our channel team and getting them up to speed on this new motion, the whole motion of the ecosystem. So I think change management is number one. That's the second biggest one. And sometimes it's even the highest one is just getting systems to be, to catch up with the rate of change, right? We're driving change and transformation faster than our systems can keep up. Because how do you track all of this? How do you track influence? How do you track six partners in a deal? How do you track and compensate people? It's not easy. So there, I think you touched on this too, Paul, you know, systems weren't set up to do this. So it's, it's, that's a big, big challenge. And I think it's also, how do you preserve the mind share? Uh, there is with so many different players inside of a single deal, everyone has to be looking in the same direction. So how do you preserve that mind share? And a lot of it is about enablement, empowering people. I was actually talking to somebody at an event uh, last week that has created these kind of short, you know, two minute like episodes like you would see on Netflix that really tell a story about a brand, about an effort and using that kind of micro learning, but through really engaging episode content 
in order to to drive behavior. Now, the focus he was working on was really about employee retention. And at that point, they had reduced uh, employee churn, I believe, by 18%. But you know, employee retention, partner onboarding, partner retention, this is all the same mechanism. So, you know, being able to create, I thought it was a great idea, having kind of a very well-engineered uh, content that partners can create or that brands can create for their partners, does that keep everyone looking in the same direction so we can maintain mindshare? Yeah. Well, and maybe that's what we need to do. We, we've all chatted about doing these more often and having more conversations and we could, maybe we've gotten, maybe you were hinting that we're getting long-winded here, but we could do more shorter conversations too and just hit on other topics. So that could be fun. All I right, like guys, that we, idea. I like the that events? idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our listeners might like it too, but we, I love the long format too. So it's, it's fun to have more deeper, deeper conversations. All right. So starting to wrap this up, I'm planning to launch this on the first day of summer. We'll see if we, if we are successful. Let's talk about summer plans just for fun. Vince, what do you got planned for the summer? Well, as you know, I'm launching a new product. So oh, I got a lot all? of that going on. Yeah. So, <laughs> But after that's done, after July happens, we're heading up north to do a little visit up to the Delaware shore and potentially New Jersey shore. Go visit the old stomping grounds. Uh-huh. And uh, I've got other partner conferences coming up. I might be showing up at a few other events this uh, this late summer. So we'll see. Very nice. Very nice. How about you, Paul? Well, I've uh, recently become a, a new grandfather and will be doing that again later on this year. Congratulations. Congratulations. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So we have decided not to relocate to, to Costa Rica, which was the first intention on my last Channel Journeys episode a little while ago. My condolences. <laughs> well, we, we actually moved to a, a beautiful town. We bought a nice old house and I really want to restore it to its original glory. It's already in great shape. Uh, but there are some areas that I would like to focus on. So I'm going to be spending a lot of time with the grandson and uh, putting in some elbow grease to uh, polish up the house. And uh, that's going to be my summer. Do they still have that series, This Old House? I believe they do. I have actually watched some of the episodes. And again, the house is in great condition. Just some of the things on the outside, you can see that there's you know six or seven layers of paint. And I want to bring that back to its uh, its original glory. So that's how I'm going to be spending my uh, my time off this summer. That's a really fun project. I love that kind of stuff because it's tangible, right? You see immediately the results of your labor, unlike our business where you kind of wait and see what's the impact. And we're trying to forecast it for the quarter. And I'm trying to get this done in a weekend. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. That's fantastic. I got a couple fun things planned. We were working last night to, to lock in, seal in some plans for a, a European vacation at the end of the summer. So we're going to do a little bit of a driving tour, which we, we've never really done. So that'll be fun. Plus, I've got my big bike ride, Rag Ride, the ride across Iowa coming up end of July. So I heard that's amazing. I've heard about that. It is amazing. And this is the 50th anniversary. So they're expecting 50,000 people. <laughs> that's a big bike ride. That's a big bike ride. And, and the road trips are one of my favorite thing. I've done Highway 1 from Portland all the way to the border. I've done Canada. Uh, from where I am in Ontario all the way out to uh, to the Pacific coast and back. And, you know, those those driving trips, I haven't done it through Europe, but I've done it through uh, Canada and the U.S. and one of my favorite things to do. Where are you yeah, headed in Europe? I'm sorry. We're going to fly into Amsterdam. So my wife and I, we both have Dutch heritage. So we're going to visit family there. And then we're going to drive down kind of the French-German border. And we've got a couple. First, we were going to do a new town every night. 
and try to see it all. And they said, wait a sec, that's too hectic. Let's just pick like three towns and spend more time in each one of them. So we've got a town on the way down, a town in the Alps that we're going to spend time in, and then another town on the way back. So that's what we were mapping out and where to stay and get an Airbnb and that type of thing. So yeah, it's going to be fun. That sounds like an adventure. It will be. It will be. All right, guys. Thank you so much. This was a, a fun conversation as always on hyperscalers and ecosystems. Can't wait to have another chat later. Great working with both of you. Thank you so much for having us, Rob. Appreciate it. Um, My pleasure. See you guys. Take care. Thanks for listening to Channel Journeys. For show notes and other Channel Journey podcasts, visit channeljourneys.com. If you liked today's show, please forward it to your channel friends and be sure to tune in for Rob's next channel adventure. All right, guys, that was fun. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did. There are a lot of reasons why you should be including the hyperscalers in your partner ecosystem strategy. I think Vince gave the biggest one. These three hyperscalers hold an aggregated 200 billion in customer cloud commitments. That is huge. And customers can burn down that commitment on your solution if it's on the marketplace. There are a lot of other reasons and things to be aware of too. I'm hoping that today's show gave you some good food for thought. If it raised more questions, well, you have an idea now of where you can turn to for help. For all of today's show notes, just go to channeljourneys.com slash CJ116. You can subscribe while you're there. Hope you had a successful first half of the year. I wish you a fun and exciting summer. Take some time off to recharge your batteries with friends and family. That's super important. I'll be back in two weeks with my thoughts on the channel and, of course, the first week of the Tour de France. Until then, have an awesome channel journey.